Uh, let's pray together. Ah, Father, thank you for Leonard Skinner, and uh, uh, thank you for so many things that you do in our lives. God, we come in here to this place today for a lot of different reasons. Some we want to find out about you for the first time. Some of us, uh, we've you know, said we follow you for a long time, but I'm really excited about today because there's a lot of us that call ourselves Christians, and we're just stuck. And uh, we can get so far in our lives, and, uh, and then we just can't get any further. And so, God, we're going to open your word today like we always do, and we're going to learn something about your son Jesus and what he said is a better way. And, and teach those of us who are learning about you for the first time, or maybe we've known you for a long time and just want more of you in our lives. God, I love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, uh, just give it up for the band, Skinner. Ah! It's so good, yeah. So I wish I, that's when I wish I smoked, so I had a lighter going, ah! You know, it'd be so... But I don't. But anyway, uh, so I'm happy about that. Here's what I'm more excited about. I've seen so much orange in the, in the room. It's a good thing. And I'm praying against the Vikings. So that's, that's, uh, there's that. And uh, here's what I'm really excited about. Last week we had, uh, we had over 500 baptisms uh, at our all three campuses. But here's what I'm most excited about is that we had 23 baptisms in the lobby of the Paramount Theater in downtown Denver, which is just fantastic. So give it up. Give it up for Paramount real quick, you know. Hey, let me jump into this, all right? Uh, today we are in, a, in week three of Meet Your Maker. That's, this is our value series. We do this several times a year uh, to kind of unpack the beliefs and principles that drive everything we do and don't do here together as a church called Flatirons, but also individually in our own lives. We come from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of church background, no church background, so we're just trying to all get on the same page of what kind of church we landed in, all right? So the last couple of weeks we looked at our two, two main values. The first one is called biblical authority. It looks like this. We believe, we actually do believe this, that the Bible is God's word and has the ability to show us a better way to live, big word here, if we are willing to put ourselves under its authority and adjust our lives to what God reveals therein as true and best. That, that's, that's what we're going for here. And again, we believe that what God says is true and best actually is true and best, not because we always understand God. Not because we always understand how that's going to work out well. The reason that we trust that what God says is true and best is because we trust the God who is saying it, the God who stands behind that. And, and the only reason we trust him is because he's already demonstrated his level of love and commitment to us to make sure that we have what we need, what is true and best. How did he do that? By sending his one and only son, Jesus, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and do things in us that we couldn't do by ourselves. Which leads me to the, our second value that we unpacked last week. It's called relational intimacy. And we believe this. We believe that no matter what you have done wrong, no matter how bad it is, how many times you've done it, what other people have said to you, all right? We believe that no matter what you've done wrong, we believe that by grace through faith in Jesus alone, it's still possible. It's, it's not too late. It's still possible to be reconnected back into an intimate relationship with God. We believe that. And that second value, that, that driving value is based on several key, either you believe this is true or you don't, statements that Jesus made. The first one being the, a big one, all right? He said in John chapter 14, uh, somebody came up to him and says, how, Jesus, how is a person connected to God? How does, does someone like us get to be with God? And Jesus answered, I'm the way. I'm the way and I'm the truth and the life. And everybody can hang with that until he said this, no one comes to the Father except what? Through me. I'm the way, and nobody comes to the Father unless they go through me. And by through me, he was referring to anyone who believes in me, he said, by faith, will, will have all their condemnation. Sin brings condemnation. He'll have, they'll have that removed. Separation from God. You can't be with God when you have sin in your life. He'll connect you back to God. You will not perish, but have eternal life. That's what he said. And, not, and by, by eternal life, he's not just saying a second chance at this one. Give your marriage another shot. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about becoming a new person. A new life given from above, a life lived interactively with God in the kingdom of heaven, starting now, in this moment, and lasting forever. 
See, that's what Jesus talked about more than anything else that he talked about. The most, all right? He said, because I can remove your condemnation and separation from God, the kingdom of God is available to anybody who believes in me by grace through faith. Paul says it this way. We looked at this one last week, all right? He said, for it is by grace, that's a free gift that you have been saved, reconnected back to God, through faith. And not just faith in anybody, faith in Jesus. And this is not from yourself. None of us are gonna go to heaven and go, I earned my way here. I'm a good person. No, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So where we landed last week in here, and if you weren't here, you can get online and watch that, all right? But the first question, before diving into all the other questions that Christians are talking about or fighting about with each other, or the world is fighting about, our culture is debating, whatever, before we try to address any of those questions, the first question that will influence how you will answer, even begin to answer those other questions is this, can you or do you believe? Where are you at? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Followed by this, have you put your faith and trust in him as the only way, the only truth, and the life that can connect you back to God the Father? Where are you on with that? Before you debate all the other things out there the world's talking about, where do you land on that question? Again, these are the hills that we'll die on before we let go of them, especially these first two that we've covered the last couple weeks. Because we have five more values we're going to unpack, all right? And, but, but I'll be honest with you, without the authority of God's word and saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, we shouldn't even waste our time on the other five. Right, it's kind of a moot point because none of those other five things we're gonna talk about over the next month will make any difference if they're not rooted in those first two. See, without God's truth being the authority of our life and without Jesus, we have absolutely nothing to say or offer to a world that at least that's worth listening to or that will help anybody in any significant way. Might make you feel better for a day or two, but it really won't last. Not without Jesus and without his word. Now today, all right, we, we are adding to, rather I would say this, expanding our values to, to, to include, a, 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 I was going to say a new value. We've had six values over the last 10 years. We're going to add a seventh. But really, I think a better way to say it would be, be, be this, to take something that many times a lot of us just assume is happening in other people's lives or in our lives or in this church. And, and it is in pockets around, right? But, but until it's written down or said out loud, or the way that we're going to say it today will actually include the word that describes what we're trying going running after, until we make it intentional, it's a big word here, right? Intentional. Too often it slips off the list or off of our radar because other things in our life just feel more urgent. And it gets placed in that, that, that file or that drawer that everybody has at their house called, that's important and I'm going to get to that soon, someday. Anybody have that drawer in their house? I just call it the basement, all right? So, uh, <laughs> I, right? It's like we all have it. It's important and I'm going to get to it. I just don't have time right now. So because values not only reveal what we hold as most important, and because values drive everything we do and don't do as a church and individually, and, and because of our tendency to look at what we're going to talk about today as a lot of Christians are going to look at what I'm going to say today and go, that's awesome, and I really ought to do that someday, right? Because of that, today we're going to write it down. And we're going to add it to our list of values so, so that over the next several years as we add and subtract different things over the life of the church, which, which we always do, we can always be asking, does doing that or not doing that intentionally and strategically align with what Jesus said, this is important? Because if, if, if we see and say, yeah, it does line up with that, we should do it more. And if it doesn't line up with what Jesus says is important, we should kick it to the curb. The church is full of stuff that Jesus never said it just made its way in, and our job is to constantly be, okay, get, get, get that out, and let's just do the most important things. Now, that's what we're going to run after. Now, now I want to set this up by using a metaphor or comparison from present-day life and comparing it to something spiritual. And Jesus, Jesus would say that's a parable to illustrate what I want to talk about today. See, here's what I mean. Every once in a while, 
Not very often, and, and you'll know exactly what I talk about when I get into this, but, but every once in a while, you'll, ha- you'll meet or you'll have an opportunity to just be near somebody and just being in their presence, you, you look at them and go, there's something different about him or her. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, sometimes maybe you heard stories about them before you actually meet them, all right? You, you, you heard they're coming to town or whatever. So when, when the time comes and you're actually in the room with them, you're like, oh, there they are, right there, right? And you just, you're ready for it because you heard about them. But sometimes, you know, maybe, maybe you've, uh, you, you've never heard anything about them, but, but, but you see them and you go, there's something different about you. Maybe it's something about them. Maybe you look in their eyes and go, your eyes are very sad or very happy or something about your eyes. Maybe it's the way they carry themselves. Maybe they walk with a limp. Maybe they have a scar or something, but you immediately discern that's somebody I ought to pay attention to. That's somebody that deserves my attention. These are the people that either in person or on TV or movies, in books or stories, historical or fictional, they capture our attention and our admiration. I'll, I'll give you some examples of that. Like, like, like last year, this great movie came out, Unbroken. I don't know if you saw it or read the book. It's a great book. It's a story of Louis Zamperini, the Olympic runner who, who years ago joins the army, gets shot down over the Pacific Ocean, lives out in a raft for like four or five weeks, six weeks, something like that. He gets rescued by the Japanese. He spends a couple years in a concentration camp. He returns home eventually. He becomes a Christian at a Billy Graham crusade. And years later, he goes back to Japan, forgives his, his, his oppressors, and at the year, age of 80 years old, starts running, carrying the Olympic torch through his former prison camp. And you look at that guy and go, what kind of man does that? Right? I mean, you sat in the theater and you go, Who, what, what kind of dude, what kind of man does stuff like that? How about this? It's the story of Rosa Parks, an African-American seamstress in, in Montgomery, Alabama, who was arrested because she would not give up her seat on the bus so a white man could have a seat, violating the segregation laws and initiating a new era of freedom and equality in this country. And you hear a story and you go, what kind of woman is that? Who can do stuff like that? I mean, what, what kind of, what's going on inside of her that she could do that? How, how about this more recent? How about Aaron Ralston? I love this story. They made a movie out of it. The guy who was trapped under a boulder out in Moab cuts off his arm, like with a pair of pliers, all right? Because he wanted to get home to be with his family. You're going, what? What kind of man is that? I, I, I'm addicted to all these reality story, shows. I'm sorry, I, like all these music stuff. I, I, and, and I just sit on my couch sometimes. And I, just, I just cry. I, I, shut up. All right, so anyway, it's a... <laughs> But especially when, when some, some man or woman, some young boy or young girl stands up there and in front of the judges, tells their story about overcoming tragedy. I buried my parents, or I buried my children, whatever. And now they're about to sing a song and then they sing it powerfully and the, the audience explodes, right? You've seen that show, right? And they're, they're, they're crying, they're applauding. And you go, what kind of, what, what kind of person can sing after that? It's, it's, I remember last week I was watching football. It's a football player who makes his return to the field after a year of chemo and the crowd goes crazy. Right? You don't care what team they're on. It's a soldier who throws himself or herself on a grenade to save the life of everybody close by. It's the son or daughter who's caring for their aging parents who have Alzheimer's, who doesn't recognize them anymore, now fights their children, curses their children and screams, I don't know who you are. I hate you. Get away from me. And the child responds, that's okay, mom. Dad, I, I, I know who you are. And I still love you. And you look at that and go, what, what, what kind of person can do that? What, what kind of man or woman, what kind of love is that? Like I said, this is a metaphor. But these are the people that captivate us. Our attention, our admiration, they inspire us. These are the people in the stories that cause us to ask some very important questions. Like, am I that kind of person? This is what we, what we, we, we sit in the movie theaters and we ask. <clears throat> am I that kind of person? Am I the kind of person that would do that? Which leads us to, to ask another question. A lot of us, we try to avoid, because I don't know if we want to hear the answer to this question. But it, it simply goes like this. What kind of person am I? That's a tough question. What kind of person do I want to be? 
What would it take to become that kind of person? Is it possible for me to become that kind of person? And if it is possible for me to become that kind of person, it probably won't happen on accident. Whoops, I became a great person. He says, no. No, no. To become the kind of person that I want and need to be in the future, it will take an intentional, there's that word, an intentional strategy of learning and doing new things, like now, so that I can do the kind of things in the future that I cannot do today by direct effort. No matter how hard I try, I just can't do it today. And this is what leads us to this new value that we're inserting into the, like the, the number three value spot on the countdown, right? So, and again, I'm not saying that it isn't already happening in some of our lives or in places around Flatirons. It is. But to raise the profile or the importance by saying, if we don't do what we're going to talk about today intentionally, and by that, here's what I mean. If we don't intentionally plug this into the strategy of how we're going to live our lives, we will miss it. And speaking as a Christian, I've spent a lot of my life missing it, and it's too important to miss as a matter of fact, the more and more, you know, over the next 30 minutes or so, as I unpack this and explain it, just look around the room. You're going to see a lot of heads nodding and thinking, wow, I wish I would have known that 20 years ago or five years ago or a year ago, right? Because if I would have had that information, I never thought of it like that, but it would have been so helpful in my life. So before, you know, I put in this value into a concise, this is where we're going to land today, a one-sentence statement. Let's go back to biblical authority. That's got to drive everything. Find the driving truth. See how this, this next dimension or progression in our journey with God, and that's a really important phrase, all right? And then we'll show you what and how this value is going to drive even more intentionally what we do and don't do here at Flatirons. So to do that, here's what I want to do. I, I want to track the journey of the very first followers of Jesus. The very first followers of Jesus. Uh, and the Bible calls them disciples. If, you, if you've read more than a, like a verse or two in the Bible, you've run into the word disciple in the Bible, all right? And I grew up thinking the, the word disciple was a student of Jesus. Jesus is the teacher and a disciple is his student. And, and that's true, but it's more than that. It's, it's what we would call the word apprentice. The word disciple and the word apprentice, it's, it's the same thing. And, and, and in this context, it still applies to us today if we decide, I want that for my own life. An apprentice signs up to be a, a disciple or an apprentice because they want to eventually not just learn new information. I need, I need to find out some more facts about God or something. No, 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 no. But to become the same kind of person that their leader is so that they can do the things that their leader does in the same way that their leader would do them. That's an apprentice. So... We're going to look at a few of those very first apprentices. Specifically, we're going to look at a guy named Peter, all right? We're going to pick up the story of Jesus and his very first disciples or apprentices in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is one of the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus. It was written by a guy named Matthew. See? You're spiritual. I got that one right. Yeah. All right. So Matthew chapter 4. This is right after Jesus was baptized, spent 40 days in the desert, and right before he goes and preaches that famous Sermon on the Mount, right in this space right here, okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, so here's what his lessons were about, all right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we, time out. We, we've hit this a number of times over the last year, but just to make sure that we're all on the same page, the number one message that Jesus taught, we have a lot of opinions what we think it might be, but according to the Bible, the number one message that Jesus taught over and over, like almost every time he opened up his mouth in front of a crowd would come out to say, hear what Jesus had to say, Whenever he taught, it always consisted of or always contained, maybe more things, but it always contained these two main points. First, he, almost started, he started almost every talk with the same word, repent. Repent, which is a Bible word or a religious word, but, but it means this. It, it, repent means it, it's time to rethink the way you think about everything. It's time for you to rethink 
how you think about everything. What do you mean? Rethink God. You grew up thinking God was like this. And Jesus is saying, you might want to rethink that. Rethink yourself, your value, your worth, your life, your, your marriage, sex, money, anger. Uh, rethink everything. Rethink your strategy for how you're going to live your life. Rethink how you think about everything. So well, why, why would we do that, Jesus? Well, point number two. Here's why. Because or for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, this is, Jesus is saying this, I, I am making it possible for you to have access to the kingdom of heaven, God's presence, by putting your faith in me, trusting me, and I promise, and I'm Jesus, I keep my promises, right? by grace through faith, that's value number two, I can remove any obstacle that stands between you living your everyday right now life interactively in the kingdom of God, the presence of God, here in this life. We're not talking about just after your funeral, though it certainly includes that. Making a difference in this life, continuing past your funeral and on into eternity. I want to make a difference in your life today. This is the number one message of Jesus. He said a lot of other things. This is the number one message of Jesus. You need to rethink your strategy for life because through me, it's now possible for you to lay your kingdom, your life, your family, your, your, yourself, all right, inside of God's kingdom and know that no matter what your circumstances are like, you, you're good with God. That's that word blessed. Blessed are you when or blessed are you if. It means you're, I'm good. I'm good with God. Christ has made me good with God. I'm, I'm going to be okay no matter what my circumstances turn out to be, all right? See, that's what Jesus taught over and over. Rethink your strategy for life because putting your kingdom inside of God's kingdom changes everything. Everything outside the kingdom of God is really, really tragic. Inside the kingdom of God, the worst things in your life can actually be used for something good. That's what he taught. Now let's keep going here, all right? So verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is this big lake right in the middle of Israel, still there today, okay? While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's a helpful clarifier. All right, so, all right, so, verse 19. And he said, Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So, again, the number one message of Jesus is, Rethink your strategy for how you're going to live your life. Follow me. Put your life inside of my life. And here's how he told Peter and Andrew, this is what it looked like for you. Peter, Andrew, follow me. And I will turn you into something and someone that you currently aren't. But you could be. I know you could be. If you're willing to let go of your former strategy of life, rethink a new one and come and follow me. Now, I'm reading that. I've read that all my life. But here's a really important thing that I, I think I or we miss a lot in this story and in many similar conversations that Jesus has with Peter and Andrew and just about everybody else that he says, come follow me to, all right? And this is important. I've never thought of it like this. So if you have your phones, you might want to take a picture of this. But following Jesus always involves an exchange. I never thought about it like this. But following Jesus always involves an exchange. And here's what I mean, all right? In order to intentionally do and become something different than you currently are, there is always a laying down of one thing in order to pick up or take hold of something new. You got to think about that, right? Jesus says, come and follow me. Peter and Andrew left their nets and followed Jesus, right? Where? Where are they following? Jesus didn't say. And they didn't know. They just recognized this man, Jesus, there's something different about him. He's a different kind of man. And he's giving us a chance to follow him, to, to form a new strategy for our lives, to begin a new journey. And in that culture, that meant more than we're going to follow him around. And he's going to give us new job skills. No, no, no. It meant more than that. It means I'm going to become like him with the goal that someday maybe if I can become the same kind of person that he is, if I can become like him, then maybe we can do the kinds of things that he can do. And we can't currently do them no matter how hard we try. And we can do them with the same kind of power and authority that he does them with. But in order to do that, we will have to make an intentional decision. We've got to make an exchange. 
See, if I want to become a different kind of person so that I can do different kind of things in the future, I'm going to have to intentionally lay down one thing that I'm currently holding on to so that I can intentionally take hold of something new that I believe will be better. And here's the unspoken truth in this about all areas of life. If I try to hold on to both, neither are going to go very well. Right? Isn't that just true? And that happens in area, every area of life where you, where you want someday, you know, I want to be able to do that in the future. And no matter how, I hard, how, how hard I try today, I just can't do it. I just can't. And that's, again, that's true in all areas of life. If, if, go back to uh, several years ago when you learned to read. You had to put yourself in an intentional space to say, those are letters. They make this sound. I connect them together. That's learning to read. That was an intent. Nobody accidentally learns to read, Right? To learn a new language, learn a new hobby, run a marathon, play a new sport, a musical instrument, and play it at an elite level. If you want to change the shape of your body, if you want a different career, if you want to change your life in any significant way, it will not happen on accident or overnight. I promise, no one's going to go, I ran a marathon. Who knew? No, nobody's going to do that. I did that on accident. And that's not going to happen. It will take an intentional strategy. Some things are going to have to change. I'm going to need to start doing new things and stop doing old things. I'm going to have to lay aside some old things so that I have time and space and focus to do some new things. That's true in all significant areas of life. And it's true with following Jesus. We just never think about it like that. Which leads me to this new third value. We're going to call it intentional apprenticeship. Intentional apprenticeship. Get them ready. Here we go. I'm going to go fast. All right. So, so what does intentional apprenticeship include? Well, intentional apprenticeship is intentional Oh, he's wise. I know. He's my pastor. All right. So, all right. So (laughs) it's intentional. What do you mean? It involves now that you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And really, this is a moot point until you get that one answered. Right? But once you do that, it includes rethinking how you think about everything and building a new strategy for your life, not just continuing the old one. And a lot of us would look at our life and going, yeah, I became a Christian and nothing really changed. Right? Intentional apprenticeship is about following Jesus and taking hold of and filling and enthralling. Look at that word in a minute. Enthralling your heart, soul, mind, and strength with who God is and what he's like. And enthrall means this. I'm just completely overwhelmed with love for him. He blows my mind. I love being in his presence. It's Moses on a mountain saying, hey, God passed by. And God says, you couldn't handle it. You can't. That's being enthralled. I'm so overwhelmed with his love. Intentional apprenticeship is about letting go of or eliminating obstacles and responses, wrong messages and old habitual patterns of thought and behavior that stand against God's good intentions for, for you. All right? I can get so far and then I don't trust him anymore. Intentional apprenticeship is about a lifelong journey of learning and growing and training both the mind and the body. We're going to look at that through physical and spiritual disciplines. Apprenticeship involves both hearing and doing, not just learning more information, hearing and doing, putting into practice the words of Jesus. Intentional apprenticeship has the goal of becoming the same kind of person that Jesus is so that we can do the things that Jesus did in the same way and for the same purpose that Jesus did them. What is that? To the glory of God the Father. It's all about, look how good God is. Here's the promise from Jesus about intentional apprenticeship. It results in a life, a house, a kingdom, whatever you want to call it, that is built on on a rock that will stand up to the storms of life. Finally, I don't fall apart every time the wind blows. So let's take all that and boil it down to one value statement, right? Intentional apprenticeship. We believe that following Jesus involves implementing a strategy to enthrall yourself with God and eliminate any obstacles or responses that stand against God's good intentions for you. We're going to run after that. And in context of the flow of the last couple of weeks in here, it goes like this. Biblical authority. God the creator initiates and reveals a plan for us to have a better life. And we screwed it up. 
All have sinned and fallen short of that, all right? Value number two, relational intimacy. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus back into an intimate relationship with God our Father. We're reconnected back through Jesus. Week three, intentional apprenticeship. Now that we are saved, we embark on an intentional, strategic, lifelong journey of training and growing in our knowledge and relationship with God. This is the journey, you see? See, being saved by grace through faith is an event based on an event. About 2,000 years ago, on a hill outside of Jerusalem, Jesus was nailed to a cross, put in a tomb, three days later rose from the dead, and there's an event called, I put my faith in Jesus, and in that moment, you are saved, as saved as you're ever going to be. You got that? You could, that's the event that could happen in this room right now. I believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God. He's my Lord and Savior, and you are saved. Salvation is an event. Becoming a disciple, an apprentice, is an intentional, lifelong, doesn't happen overnight, no matter how hard you try journey. I don't care how spiritual you are, how hard you pray. I wanna be like Jesus by Tuesday. You're, you're not. Ask your family, you're just not, all right? See, Peter, kids are looking at their parents, dad, you're not anything, all right? See, Peter, you know, we're looking at him, right, right? He started his journey of apprenticeship with that very first exchange. He laid down his nets his old life, in order to pick up and follow Jesus. And it was rough. If you read the story of Peter's you know, first two or three years of Jesus, it was a bumpy, bumpy road. It's gonna be like that for us too. Oh, look, let's look at this, right? We're in Matthew chapter 16. They, they've been following Jesus for a couple years and Jesus has been asking all, all his, his friends, got about 12, 12 minutes running around with him, all right? Who do you, who, what are people saying about me? What's word on the street? Well, some people think you're this, some people think you're this, some people think you're this, all right? Then Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? Like, what have you concluded about me? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ. That's the Messiah, the one that can connect us to God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so just like last week, Peter has answered the most important question. Before we get to anything else, Peter goes, you're the one. I put my faith and trust in you. Verse 17, it's great. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That means son of Jonah. All right, so your dad's name is Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. He taught this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell, and that means death, death shall not prevail against it. So, so Jesus tells Peter, man, listen, it is obvious, it is obvious you're listening to God, my father. And he's becoming your father too. You're becoming more and more like me after this last, like almost three years of hanging out together. And, and I, I'm gonna use you, Peter, I'm gonna use you in amazing ways, all right? Just like I promised back on that beach by that little boat where we first met. I'm gonna build my entire church on the statement that you just made and nothing will stop us. Nothing will stop my church. And he drops a hint. Even my death in a few weeks, right over there in Jerusalem, outside on that, on that hill, we're going to be unstoppable. That, that's what's going to happen, Peter, because what you just said, that I'm, you believe I'm the Christ, unstoppable. Now, awesome. Way to go, Peter. Let's skip down three verses. Gets, gets worse. All right, so from that time, from that conversation on, Jesus began to show his disciples, his apprentices, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Oh, here we go. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, time out. Anything he's about to say is wrong. All right? Anytime you take Jesus aside and go, hey, Jesus, you're wrong. Let me correct you. It's just not going to go well, okay? Because he's Jesus. All right? So... So Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But, he, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. And I've always read that, and I thought, well, that's a mood swing. <laughs> wow. 
Jesus is mad. I mean, first, first, Peter, you're a rock. Way to go. You're listening to God. I'm going to build my entire church, my unstoppable church on what you just said. Five minutes later, three verses later, Peter thinks he's Jesus, doing Jesus a favor. And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Peter, you're Satan. You're, hey, rock, you're, you're, you're Satan. And you're standing in the way of what I want to do because you're still thinking of human things in old ways. You're still living your life in old strategies, not new God things. And I've always looked at that and went, man, Jesus was mad. But I don't, I don't think that Jesus was expressing anger. Maybe a little frustration, but I don't think he was mad at Peter as much as there was a sense of urgency. She's looking at Peter and, he, and he's saying something like this. Peter, I, we've been hanging out together for, for almost three years now, right? You've been watching me since you left that boat, right? Learning from me, apprenticing yourself to me. And see, here's the thing I know. I know the time is getting close. It's just a few days from now where I won't physically be with you anymore. And you're still missing the main thing. You're still holding on to old habits and human ways of thinking, old strategies of how life works, and you're missing the bigger, better thing that God is wanting to do. Peter, you have to rethink your strategy for life. Let go of the old one. And Jesus continues to paint a picture of of what that would look like. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Peter and all of them, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, my apprentice, all right, and some of us are saying, I'm trying to figure out if I want to be that must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What's that mean? For whoever wants to save, and that means hold on to it. I gotta, I gotta take care of me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And lose it means it'll be taken from you. But whoever loses, lays down their nets, their life, whatever, for me will find it. You'll get something better. See, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, I got it all, yet lose or forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in, what's the word? There's the word, exchange for their soul. See, Jesus is teaching intentional apprenticeship, laying down, and he would use the word exchanging one thing, my old life, the way I used to run my life, the way I used to think, and what used to be important. I'm going to lay that down in order to take hold of or take up and gain something better. Like what? Life. Real life. See, I, I really don't think that Jesus is angry or disappointed that Peter was, hey, Peter, you were doing great. Way to go, rock, all right? And then you made a mistake, and, and then Jesus looks at him and goes, well, you were never a Christian in the first place. All right, that's not true. Jesus is recognizing that disciples, this is my opinion. You don't have to believe this. I'm, I'm right, though. But Jesus, it, Jesus is recognizing, at least in my experience, discipleship and apprenticeship is a slow process. It doesn't happen overnight. And a lot, of, a lot of times we put pressure on ourselves going, I, sh- I should be following Jesus better. I became a Christian. I got baptized last Sunday. I should have it all together. That's just not right, realistic, right? See, sometimes, and this is just, again, my, my own experience. Sometimes my, my walk with God seems like it's three steps forward and two steps back. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And then Thursday happened and pff, it all fell apart. And I'm wondering, I don't even know if I even believe in Jesus today, all right? But the net gain, as I look back, not over the last week, but out over the last year or two of my life, I'm doing all right. I've made a step or two. I'm making some progress. Not, not, not miles and miles, but, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm doing better. Intentional apprenticeship, it's slow. Uh, a, few, a few chapters later, right, the disciples have they've been making great progress. They've been going around, and, and Jesus has given them the power, and they've been walking around, and they've been teaching about Jesus. They've been healing people in the name of Jesus. They've, they've, they've actually cast out demons out of people. It's, it's going great. And then there's this one day. In Matthew 17, this, this father walks up to Jesus and he's holding his son who has epilepsy and he says, Jesus, will you heal my son? I took him to your disciples and they failed. I, right, they're supposed to be your representatives. I, I took him, my, my, my little boy to them and they tried and they couldn't do it. And Jesus heals that boy instantly on the spot. Now, listen to this. I love this. Matthew 17, verse 19. 
Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Jesus, can we see you in the alley? We need to talk, all right? So why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, and that's the, the smallest seed in Israel at that time. I say, if you have faith like a, a tiny little grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. So the apprentices have been doing everything they knew to do, all right? Everything that they've been taught to do, watch Jesus do. They tried it, and it, it failed, and they were frustrated. Jesus, why couldn't we do that? What, we're try, what are we doing wrong? And Jesus replied, it's because your faith isn't strong enough yet. Not yet. But, listen, there, there's this kind of faith that's possible for you to have. This faith that is so strong that you only need like a, like a, like a tiny little seed's worth of this kind of faith. And with just that little bit of strong faith, whatever obstacle that's in front of you, that, that's blocking your way, mountain size obstacle you'll be able to look at that mountain and go you get out of my way and, it, and, and it'll move it'll flatten out or it'll move in another place Jesus says you'll say to that mountain be moved and it'll throw itself in the sea move and it'll move he says but this kind of faith that's not overnight it comes after a lot of disciplines a lot of training a lot of hard work and you don't have it yet not yet you're doing great but you're not there yet but with some more intentional apprenticing it's possible to have that kind of faith and that, that's encouraging, but here's the part that blows me away. In another place, in, in John chapter 14, he tells these, these same group of men that, that if you'll stay on this apprenticeship path, look, look, look how Jesus says it better than me. Look at this, because he's Jesus. All right, so this is what Jesus says to the same group. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes, has faith in me, will also do the works that I do. And that's our goal, right? I want to be like Jesus so I can do the kind of things he does, all right? And this blows my mind. Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And you've got to get this. Jesus is acknowledging, you are, you're, you're my disciples, you're my apprentices, and you have faith in me. But if you keep going, if you keep going down this intentional apprenticeship of intentionally working this new strategy, which will include you know, a lot of hard work, disciplines of training and praying and studying and fasting and, and worshiping and giving and serving, trying new experiences, trying new things, succeeding some days and failing other days, and then getting back up, all right? If you keep intentionally pursuing and growing your faith and trust in me, keep on loving me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and continue identifying and laying down old ways of thinking and believing and behaving, Jesus says, I promise, I promise, not only is it possible for you to become more like the kind of person that I am but a day will come when you can do the same kinds of things I can do and then he trumps it with this and if you have enough faith just a little faith you'll do greater things than you've seen me do that's what I want and that's what we're going to run after as a church all right we're going to run after that as a big rock value in this church and our own individual lives because honestly I think I speak for most Christians a lot of us are really frustrated because we're stuck we're stuck in our walk with God we became Christians years ago and we, we kind of look in the mirror and go, nothing's really changed. No, I'm, I'm kind of dead in my faith. I've made no progress in my walk with Jesus. And I want something more. So we believe that the Bible is God's word and believe that it can show us who God is and what he's like and what he defines as right and true and what he says is a better way to live if we're willing to put ourselves under its authority. So the Bible is the primary source to find enthrallment with God. It's going to be our first stop every time. We also believe that by grace through faith in Jesus alone, we are saved. And by that, not just saved from hell, but, but Jesus can remove any obstacle or obstruction that's blocking our way with being connected to God and living our lives. But we also know this, 
Being saved and having forgiveness of sins and not going to hell, and that's necessary and that's important, and nothing can really happen of importance until those things happen in your heart. But we also believe this, and I think you'll agree with me on this. Being saved, following Jesus, and living an eternal life is more than simply not going to hell. Right? It's got to be about more than that. So you're a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I'm not going to hell. It's got to be about more than that. It's about life, not death, right? See, eternal life is about being transformed. Eternal life is about being changed. Eternal life is about taking hold of all that God has in mind for me. Eternal life is about becoming who God declares us to be. Eternal life is about living a new life, a powerful new life. Eternal life is about taking your life and living your life inside the kingdom of heaven. And according to biblical authority, because Jesus has saved us, because of what Jesus has made possible to us and accessible to us, by placing ourselves in intentional apprenticeship to Jesus, it's possible for you to actually take hold of all that God has for you and begin to let go of and eliminate anything and everything that's holding you back of you having the kind of life that Jesus wants you to live. So if values drive everything we do and don't do here at Flatirons, and hopefully in our own personal lives when we're not here at this church, here's the question. How and what is intentional apprenticeship going to drive here at, here at Flatirons, what, what are we going to see different around here? Well, again, let's go back to this, all right? Discipleship or apprenticing ourselves to Jesus can always be divided into two parts. It's that exchange. You got to take hold of one thing. You got to let go of something else. So there's enthrallment, right? Enthrallment. Getting to know God more and more so that we can see him and know him and love him more and more and begin to understand his level of love for us. See, some of us think God loves us, but only about this much. I want to know everything about his love for me and his plan for my, my life. So there's enthrallment side of apprenticeship, and that's the goal. Knowing Jesus so we can become more kind, like the kind of person he is, so we can do those things. But then there's the other side of, uh, of apprenticeship, and it's this. Eliminating responses that stand in the way of enthrallment. In other words, just be, you, you know this is true. Just because you're saved and now that you're a Christian, that doesn't mean the old habits just go away like that, do they? Or the old thoughts, the old messages, the old muscle memories of the past. I became a Christian, but you know what? Tomorrow, I still felt the same old pulls. I, I did. So we have to intentionally identify them. Pull them out and deal with them, all right? Keep them in front of us so they don't ambush us like they always do. And hopefully, exchange them. Lay them down so we can pick up a better way, a better truth, a better life. So in order to do that, as a church, we're going to make some changes around here. You know, we, we're already doing it in some pockets, but we're going to go after it intentionally. We are going to begin reworking and retooling our entire ministry plan, student ministries all through adults, all right? And we're, we're, going to, we're even going to move some of our staff around to make those two things available to anyone who intentionally says, I want that. I'm tired of just drifting through my Christian life. I want some intentionality. So what's the first stop? Well, we've already started it several months ago. There's this book out in the lobby. It's called Basic Training Book. We wrote that. Michael Hendricks, who's our spiritual formation pastor, he wrote this. It's a 30-day study. It's a review of the Christian faith. Do it. All right, do it. Some of you go, well, I got one of those, and I don't. I gave it away to somebody in need. No, no, you didn't. It's under your couch. All right, so, so if you don't know where this is, go get one. They're free. Get as many a- a- as you need, all right? It's a 30-day study. It's a review of the basics of Christianity, all right? Some of you go, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I don't need that. Really? How are you doing with that, right? So let's all get on the same page and go, let's all do this 30-day study or do it again, all right? You can do it individually with your coffee in the morning. You can do it with, you know, some of you are going, I, I want to lead my family. I went to the men's retreat, or women's retreat. I really want to lead it into leading my family. I don't know how. Here's a good start. This is a great place to start, all right? Maybe coworkers at work or at school, whatever, whatever that is, all right? It takes about 20 minutes a day, 30 days. Just look at it as training wheels. It's my ramp up to apprenticeship. And by the way, the next thing I want to talk about, this will be a prerequisite for doing that. Well, did you do that? No, we'll go back and do it. So what if I did that? Well, all right, spiritual formation. We're going to run after this. 
In 2016, we're going to begin launching several five-week trainings, right? And hopefully eventually in all three campuses to help us begin doing what you might call, we call it soul work. Isn't that a great, great term? I need, I need to work on my soul. You know, I work on my budget. I work on my health. I need to work on my soul. It will be built on pursuing both parts of intentional apprenticeship, enthrallment, identifying what we currently believe to be true about God. And some of us believe some things to be true about God that aren't true, right? God says this about us. And we're going, really? I, I, I don't know if I believe that. But here's the other thing about that. Whatever you believe about God is what you live out. You can sing songs, you can pray prayers, you can get advice to other people. What you believe to be true about God is how you live your life, right? I say I trust him. I live my life very different. Why? Because you don't trust him at least in that area, right? So that's the first part, right? Second, identifying areas you can look at in the mirror and go, well, I need to work on that. And begin practicing both new spiritual disciplines and physical disciplines. It's both. Gaining and learning some new tools that will equip you to be lifelong, I love this term, self-feeders. Self-feeders who partner with the church rather than depending upon the church to do it for you. you know, and parents, you understand this. We're really heavy on the front end. We do everything for them. Then we do it with them. But our goal is eventually they have their own house. And if they're 35 years old going, what do you think I ought to wear today? And can you fix me breakfast? That's a problem. <laughs> Look straight ahead, all right? Especially if he's right there, all right? Sorry, so, right? <laughs> but your goal is to prepare somebody to build their house on a rock, right? That's, that, that is the goal. See, we think, and some of you can disagree with us on this, and that's okay, but, you know, just, we, we go back to Scripture. Based on God's Word, here's what we've determined. That once a person becomes a follower of Jesus, a Christian, Saved by grace. And again, nothing really is going to change until that happens. But according to the Bible, it should be a realistic expectation that within a season of just a few years, with the very first guys, it took three years, right? We, we believe that a follower should have matured enough to possess enough faith, not all of it, but enough faith and the right tools to build a lifelong strategy where they can continue to be self-feeding, strong followers of Jesus, where you can actually lead yourself in the Lord, you can lead your families in the Lord, and you can lead those around you and explain to them what it means to have an interactive life with Jesus. And here's why. We have a lot of young adults, young professionals, college students that come to, come to Flatirons for a season, and then you graduate, and you end up in Timbuktu, nowhere North Dakota, all right? And then you, e sorry, don't, uh, it's, it's nowhere, all right? So anyway, and then you email Scott and I go, is there a good church up here in North Dakota that you know about? And the answer is, no, I don't know of one, right? Or, or you get transferred to Egypt or wherever, you know, and, and, you, and you get off there and, and, and you look around. There are any other Christians that you can network with or, or sit in a room like this with. But now, because you've apprenticed yourself to Jesus, wherever you land on planet Earth, your faith doesn't fall apart this time. Here's why. Because finally, you are the church. You are the church. You aren't dependent upon a church to do it for you or instead of you. You're a follower of Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, and you've been you know, coming to Flatirons for a while, and you're wondering, so what do I do? I've been coming to this big room for a while. What's my next step? This is what the answer is always going to be from now on. H have, you, have, you, have you done this? Have you gone through 30, to 30 days of basic training? No, then, then do, then come talk to me again. And if the answer is yes, great, sign up for our next spiritual formation training. And we're going to go after it. This is what it means to, to, to follow Jesus. Now, the other side of apprenticeship addresses this. And this is what a lot of us are already thinking. But what do I do when I run into something like I, I can't get past it? What, what's blo it's blocking me. I can get this far with my walk with Jesus. And it's like I, I hit, hit a wall. And that's been my Christian life. 
And I've shared that pretty openly over the last couple of years. I'm a pastor. I, I, run, I run this church, all this kind of stuff. And I get so far, and then I run into fear, shame, and insecurity. And those old voices come back and go, you know who you are. You know what you've done. You can tell all these people about grace and faith, but it probably doesn't apply to you. Anybody else feel like that? I, and I got blocked, all right, until I get that out in front of me. I got, I got to make some changes. What can I do about that? And see, and this is, and I'm just, again, I'm just going off my own experience here, all right? But I, I've been a part of church since I was born, all right? And in my experience, this is where most churches and Christians miss it. There are a lot of churches, there are a lot of pastors who talk about, about, about enthrallment with God. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's like. He's so awesome. And this is why you can trust him. And that's awesome. That's great. Here's where I think we've been missing it as a church. What happens when your response to that is, then why can't I trust him? Why do I have a hard time believing in God? It sounds so great. What's standing in the way of me believing that what Jesus says is really true and best? It's true and best for me. I can't get there. I think it's probably good for all these other people, but it's hard for me to trust Jesus. Why? And I'm gonna say something that you probably, you probably never heard another pastor say, but it's just true, all right? If you have a hard time believing in Jesus and trusting God, you probably have a pretty good reason for that. You probably have a good reason why I, I don't trust God I don't trust Jesus. I don't, I don't trust any of this. You probably have your reasons. And until you dig into that, it will always be there in your way, blocking your way. See, earlier this year, I mentioned I, I wanted to build our own retreat center, and we're still going to do that, all right? But in the meantime, we found, we worked out a deal with this camp about two hours from here. And they, they said, you can lease it out for as many weekend retreats as you want for the purpose of running these retreats to address and tear down any obstacles or responses standing in the way of being and becoming the men and women that we were created to be. So I talked about my experience. Last June, a year and a half ago, I went down to Texas, went to this crucible retreat. It's called crucible retreat, all right? And it changed my life. So I don't know what we're going to call these retreats. Right now, Let's just call them crucible. So is that what we're going to call them? No, I don't know what we're going to call them, but placeholder, it's crucible, all right? Currently, all right, so we have a crucible for men in October. It's full. There's one in January. It's full. There's one in March. It's full, all right? But we have six men's crucibles scheduled for 2016 here in Colorado and four women's crucible retreats scheduled for 2016 here in Colorado. And we're going to let you know when that's available. So don't email me. Where do I sign up? I don't know. All right? It's not even available to you yet. All right? But we're working. I came here a couple months ago and I said, ladies, I promise we'll work on this. And we're working on it. Okay? We're working on it. We have four on the calendar already, already booked out. All right? So there's that. Next. All right? So last weekend I told you I'd been gone the week, a couple weeks before this because I was at men and women's retreats up in, uh, up, in, uh, up in the mountains. All right? And we had 500 men and 500 women. And back in the, in the, in the, in the spring we had the same retreats. All right? And they, and they, they, they just filled up. Now, here's, here's a decision we made this week. All right? The waiting list, they, these last set of retreats filled up in four hours. Some of you are angry about that still. Pray through that, all right? So they filled up in four hours, and when the waiting list got to like 200 people, we just shut it down. We just shut it down. So because this royal retreat is so important, we've decided we're going to do it one more time. We're going to do it one more time this spring. It's the same thing theme for both men and women. Some of you are going, can I go again? No. No, you, you, you can't. But if you want to do that, we'll announce those, those, those uh, and we're going to have a really, really fair way for you to sign up this time. All right, so there's that, all right? So now here's the other thing. So a couple years ago, right before I went on my first hunt, elk hunt, awesome, 11 days, going again. If that bothers you, hunting bothers you, okay, so I don't. You pray through that, all right? It's awesome. All right, so anyway, 11 days, be praying for me. So anyway, all right, so, all right. So I, I, I had, I'm getting so many emails about that. It's all right. I, all right. Um, um, let's get back on here. All right. 80, meds, meds kick in. All right, here we go. So, 
So a couple years ago, I said, I have this dream that we, we have so many single moms and they have these little boys at home and they don't have any men in their life. And I, I had this dream that some outdoorsmen, hunters, fishermen, hikers, campers, people that just do stuff outdoors would take these little boys and take them out and say, hey, I want, I want to take care of you. And at that point, I said, even these little girls, take, take these children out that are never going to get a chance to get into these mountains. And the more I thought about that, I thought, I can't do that. I mean, I can't do that. Here, here's why. In this world... Right? I have so many single moms going, I've got my son, he needs a man in his life and I'm so desperate. And then this 53-year-old man goes, I'll take your little boy fishing or your little girl hunting or something like that. Do you understand the recipe for disaster that we can't take on? We just, we just can't. And I've got enough single moms that are so desperate for that, they'll lower their bar going, just, I'm willing to take a risk, just help my kid, right? So I've been looking over the last couple of years and I've had, I, I've had just hundreds of you say, I want to help with that, I want to help with that, all right? I, fo- I found an organization. It's called Fathers in the Field, all right? Fathers in the Field. Take a picture of that, all right, if, if this interests you, all right? Get on their website, begin researching it. But we're going to partner up outdoorsmen with fatherless boys, age 7 to 17. Take them and, and we're going we're to start discipling them and then we're going to address the needs of widows in our community because this is the heart of God, widows and orphans. And we're going to run after it in a new and a, in a great way, all right? So I'm having dinner tonight with the leaders of Fathers in the Field. So over the next couple of weeks, Scott and I will unpack that even more and more. Right Now, here's the other thing. And I'm, I'm over time, but you're used to that. But we, see, we know, all right, about four or five years ago, I, we really started leaning into the hearts of husbands, men, fathers, all right? As a lot of you go, this is the man church. I, I, that, thank you, all right? But, but, but here's the other thing. We have a lot of young men, husbands, and fathers. I'm an old guy. We have a lot of young men, husbands, and fathers. And here's what we, we've, we've just, we just kind of, the aha moment that we're really slow on this, but if we have this many young men, husbands, and fathers, we really need to lean in more intentionally to take care of the young moms, women, and mothers in the church. I mean, so I did an experiment last weekend and even so far this weekend. Do you, have you looked, do you see how many pregnant women we have in this church, all right? I mean, it's like, what are you drinking, you know? It's, and, Drink more, but whatever that is, all right? And that, that is awesome. We have one out of every five people that come to this church are under fifth grade. All right, it's, it's just amazing. We need to take better care of that half of the church as well. And we're, we're working on it. We are, we're, I promise, we are, we are working on it. See, this is an exciting moment in the life of our church. See, we've always been a, a church that points people to the grace and truth of Jesus. Now we are gonna intentionally begin pointing people to the possibility of living a life like Jesus. And according to the Bible, the best way to do that is intentional apprenticeship. I've never seen a church do this on this type of scale before. And we're going to go for it. Leaders go first, right? So we're going to run after it. You in? You in? All right. Let's stand up. Let's stand up. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing in the lobby in all three campuses. Uh, you can go out there and you can pick up one of the basic training books. All right? Take, a, take whatever you need. Okay? Let's pray. And then here we go. God, I love you so much. I do. I, I love what you're doing in my heart and the hearts of so many men and women, boys and girls in this church. Husbands, fathers, moms, daughters, er, 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 all of us. You're doing something. Now, there's, there's, a, there's something stirring in our hearts right now. He says, maybe, maybe something can change in my life. Because what I've been trying, your know, willpower and determination, that gets me so far. And then I hit a wall. But maybe, maybe if I laid down my nets or whatever that is that I've been holding on to in the past and, and took hold of something better, it's a risk, but I'm willing to do that because the stakes are so high. Maybe my life could be different. And so God, right now, what you do is only you can do. Tell us, teach us that, that you, we can trust you. That we can trust your son, Jesus. So much so that we'd be willing to let go of one thing in exchange of, of, of your son Jesus and follow him. That, that is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.